0: Welcome to the Mayo Clinic Cardiovascular Continuing Medical Education Podcast. Join us each week to discuss the most pressing topics in cardiology and gain valuable insights that can be directly applied to your practice. Hello, everyone, uh, and uh, welcome again to another in our series of uh, interviews with the experts. Uh, My name is Malcolm Bell. I'm the uh, vice chair for the Department of Cardiovascular Medicine And our topic today is cardiovascular disease uh, in pregnancy and focusing on peripartum cardiomyopathy. I'm really excited to introduce uh, my guest today, Dr. Katie Young, who's a senior associate consultant in our department here in Rochester, and she's the director of our Cardio OB clinic. So welcome, Katie, and, and thanks so much for joining us.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Happy to talk on this topic
0: obviously a lot to discuss uh, in, in this broad uh, topic but, but let me start off with just asking you we we hear a lot of in the uh, lay and medical press about the very high maternal mortality uh, in the united states it's the, as i understand the highest in the developing world and so maybe sorry, in the developed world and maybe even approaching some of the developing uh, worlds mm-hmm. and a lot of that's uh, due to the burden of cardiovascular disease that And let me just uh, ask you, um, is is that an accurate statement, and does that surprise you?
1: Yes. So, yes, it's definitely accurate. So the maternal mortality rates in the U.S. have been historically high and unfortunately continue to increase, actually. And cardiovascular disease um, is among or is the top contributing cause of maternal mortality, which is what makes... Um, what we're going to talk about even more important. Um, and I think it is surprising to a lot of people, given that we're in a country with a lot of resources um, and a lot of access to care for most people. And so that's why, you know, an awareness amongst the medical community is also very important uh, to help do everything we can to decrease the maternal mortality rates.
0: So maybe right at the bad, it's really point, we just get our heads wrapped around that you know, factual uh, information. So let's uh, now just focus on one of those uh, causes of uh, uh, maternal mortality or morbidity is peripartum cardiomyopathy. And maybe we should just start off with you defining what is that?
1: The diagnose, or the definition of peripartum cardiomyopathy or PPCM is the kind of abbreviation a lot of individuals use. It's really an idiopathic cardiomyopathy, meaning, um, you know, women, present with heart failure symptoms. They're currently pregnant or recently pregnant, and there's no other identifiable or reversible cause identified. With that, though, there needs to be evidence of left ventricular systolic dysfunction, and that is defined as a left ventricular ejection fraction less than 45%. So you need to have the heart failure um, combined with the systolic dysfunction that's documented with echocardiography. And really, um, as I mentioned, women can present throughout pregnancy, but most commonly, they present late in pregnancy, and most commonly, actually, the first month postpartum. Um, so it's something we really need to keep in our differential and ask all of our young women we're seeing um, about pregnancy history as well.
0: So that would bring us then to you know, uh, trying to identify the patients, you know, the women who are at higher risk. Uh, so who are those at higher risk, and uh, who does this affect uh, most uh, commonly?
1: Common risk factors are women of older maternal age, and that's actually defined as um, older than 30 years old, women of African-American race, um, those with multi-gestation pregnancies, as well as a concomitant hypertensive disorder of pregnancy. So women with either baseline hypertension or women with preeclampsia, we can see an overlap um, in women with preeclampsia and peripromperempathy sometimes up to 40% of the time.
0: And, and maybe before we go any further, in, in terms of that cardiovascular burden of you know, disease, mm-hmm. um, is, is this one of the most common uh, causes here that we would...
1: Actually, I mean, in the United States, the incidence is increasing probably because of more risk factors in the general population and women having pregnancies at an older age. But actually in the U.S., it's it's not a super common cause of heart failure or cardiomyopathy. There's around 1,300 new cases a year. Um, it's certainly more common in other countries. For instance, in um, Nigeria, the instance is you know almost one in one hundred women. So it's much more common in other areas of the world, but um, we do see it here in the United States
0: as well. But but probably not as commonly as preeclampsia, for example, that may be associated Correct. with this. But nevertheless, and, and right. important. And and you've made a distinction between uh, well, making it very clear that this could occur at any time during pregnancy but we see it more commonly uh, your postpartum or uh, the very final stages?
1: Yeah, first month postpartum is what has been shown where uh, most women present with peripartum cardiomyopathy.
0: So, so what should we be looking for? I mean, that's obviously a spectrum. Someone could mm-hmm. present with florid, heart failure, pulmonary edema, and hopefully yeah. that would be obvious to, to most people. But leading up to that, what what, what are the, uh, the s- symptoms and signs that you'd be looking for?
1: This is what can be challenging is because late in pregnancy, there can be a lot of similar symptoms Um, just with normal pregnancies. um, Women can feel more short of breath and have some swelling. So there can be an overlap of symptoms. And I think that can also kind of lead to delays in diagnosis and and initiation of treatment. So I think it's really having a high index of suspicion, um, knowing your patients and really having them investigate any symptoms that are, particularly if these are symptoms that are limiting their daily activities, their quality of life, um, if there's significant shortness of breath, or orthopnea, swelling, palpitations, or, you know, raise your suspicion and at least consider, you know, further diagnostic testing, um, which may be, you know, getting an epicardiogram, checking an NT-proBNP, screening for these conditions, and, and really, I think, just having a high index of suspicion especially the later in pregnancy, uh, when there can be an overlap of symptoms.
0: And then making that diagnosis, then, as you said, you're looking for an ejection fraction less than 45%, so even something a little borderline in someone who's complaining of shortness of breath, tell us how often, then, that that may then evolve into full-blown heart failure, uh, if that's not taken, um, well, not necessarily yeah. seriously, but if you don't intercede.
1: Yeah, and so and and really during a pregnancy, the ejection fractions should really remain normal. Um, so there's not a normal drop in EF with pregnancy. So that's why, you know, even less than 45% would be abnormal. And you're exactly right. So some women will have a more mild course, a more mild reduction in their EF, but some women will really present with that more fulminant course and may need more advanced therapies. And it's hard to predict who that will be and who may have that course. Um, So it's really just, I think, having that high index of suspicion and following these patients closely and monitoring them and asking them and telling them to come in if anything is changing or progressing or worsening.
0: And then role for chest X-ray. I'm just thinking about the pregnant patient. Everyone's your concerned about radiation, or the radiation from a chest X-ray is pretty minimal. Uh, your your views on that and recommendations? Yeah.
1: So there's so yes, yeah, so all of these things we have to consider, obviously, because now we have a mom with a you know baby and the radiation exposure. In the setting though, where it's you know mom is not doing well, and these things are going to change your management and help you take care of mom, and by that take care of baby, you would do the testing you need to do. But if it's if it, if it's not needed or it can be avoided, we generally try to do that. But if it's a necessary test,
0: and of course uh, many people say, well, we've got point of care ultrasound now where we can yeah. look for key lines uh, on uh, lung exams. so. Um, so let's just move on then to the treatment. Uh, you, we've yep. got a patient you, who maybe have the early signs of uh, heart failure. And let's just talk about just briefly that the patient who is remaining pregnant has not delivered yet. Mm-hmm. Walk us through, uh, I mean, I'm assuming this is going to be fairly standard care for heart failure. There may be some drugs that we can, uh, uh, cannot use. Right. Um, and then maybe just, well, maybe just tell us what, what drugs yeah. would we avoid in, in the pregnant patient?
1: For you know, one of the main states, you're exactly right. This is going to be standard. Kind of, we try and implement kind of guideline-directed medical therapy for heart failure. Um, however, if mom is pregnant, there are certain medications we cannot use, such as our ACE inhibitors, ARBs, Entrusto, um, Spironolactone. All these medications we we cannot use if mom is pregnant. We can use for afterload reduction, things like hydralazine and nitrates. Those are safe from pregnancy. We can use diuretics. So for decongestion, uh, diuretics uh, can be used and mom monitored with that. Beta and beta blockers. Block, beta blockers can be used. Metoprolol succinates, the most common used, and that's generally what we go for or utilize. But yes, beta blockers can be used when mom is pregnant.
0: So uh, good information, but now the question is going to come up. Can this be a uh, vaginal delivery or does it need to be cesarean? Tell, tell us the, the thinking there.
1: So in part, that's really going to depend on, on how mom is doing. Periparm in and of itself is not a reason to have a cesarean section, but unstable heart failure and a very fulminant course, maybe. And that would maybe what would put um, someone um, to a c-section and the timing of delivery is really going to depend if mom is pregnant if this is diagnosed late in pregnancy and, and mom is it's really going to depend on mom's status so it's hard to say it's always going to look one way because it's so dependent on the patient and their course but um, certainly if it's late in pregnancy and the pregnancy is viable and baby's okay they may we may deliver sooner than we would have had she not been diagnosed with peripartum and certainly, and, and, unstable heart failure would be a reason where mom may undergo a C-section.
0: And, and short of that, then presumably very close cardiology follow-up, uh, your know, yep. presence there and uh, you know intensivist uh, help. So baby's delivered, and mom either has continuing to uh, get, have symptoms or new onset of symptoms. Mm-hmm how are we going to treat that and and obviously uh this, the mother wants to breastfeed uh yep. so again just just tell us uh just high level what what drugs we can use i mean and again it sounds as though you're saying we should still treat it just as we would with uh, any other patient with heart failure
1: yeah yep absolutely so you will so you will now and again so you're going to you know diuretics again can be used postpartum as well for mom the difference being is that if mom has delivered there you can use some of uh, the ACE inhibitors and they're safe in breastfeeding so we I generally use either captopril or enalapril are generally what are the ones that are considered most safe for moms that are breastfeeding we can use spironolactone or other you know during breastfeeding as well beta blockers also can be used so beta blockers, fernalactone, and your ACE inhibitors would probably be what you're going to be implementing in the postpartum period.
0: Now, this is a hypercoagulable state here, and uh, I know that maybe there's some you know, differences in how people approach the question of that and whether or not the patient should be or the mother should be anticoagulated. I mean, at this point, you know, they are a patient. They, they've got their own disease here. Yep. Uh, Is there an indication for oral anticoagulants or only if they've had an embolic phenomenon, LV thrombus, what, sure. what, what's the recommendation there?
1: All, I mean, obviously, all, all of those. Yeah, so if there's an embolic phenomenon or LV thrombus, that would be indication for that. And then also need to consider it for severely reduced LV ejection fraction. And that, um, depending on where you look, it may be defined as less than 35 or 30% for LV ejection fraction. You would consider implementing therapeutic anticoagulation as well. The other place where you may put a mom on anticoagulation is, is if um, a medic- if bromocryptine is utilized. Now, the role of bromocryptine has been controversial. Currently, there is a multi-center trial um, investigating um, the therapeutic role of bromocryptine on myocardial recovery in PPCM called REBIRTH. Um, Mayo Jacksonville and Student Mayo Rochester will both be active enrolling sites in that as well. But if a mom is started on bromocryptine, generally we also would put a mom onto uh, the anticoagulation as well. They kind of go together.
0: And bromocriptine, of course, would stop breastfeeding. Correct. So there won't be Correct. any issue of uh, transferring anticoagulant activity to, uh, to uh, yeah. a new. So
1: moms would need. But to my
0: under- yeah. understanding of the bromocryptine story is that it's not really used very much in the United States, but a little Correct. bit more in, in Europe and some some other uh, areas. But I do want to just get back to uh, one other thing here. We haven't really touched on this, but in the patient who really has significant symptoms, mm-hmm. is this a patient who should be transferred to an institution that can pro- uh, provide very high-level advanced uh, heart failure support? So I'm thinking about your mechanical circulatory support, yeah. ECMO, uh, even transplantation.
1: Yep. Yep. So the kind of the rates of transplant and other advanced therapies in the first year postpartum for peripartum cardiomyopathy is around five to 10%. But certainly if a mom is presenting with a more fulminant course, heart failure, border, you know, shock state, yes, this these are moms that should be transferred to, you know, higher levels of care where they can be evaluated and, and you don't have these other therapies if they're candidates.
0: Now, that's a, a, quite a high threshold to, to to transfer. Is there a lower threshold in a patient you think may be at risk of uh, deteriorating who seems to be stable, or ha- yeah, I think, what advice I would think, you give there?
1: Yeah, I think that some of that, again, so everyone will, each patient will present a little differently, and so some of that will be kind of the clinical, just on clinical judgment on how mom is doing. If um, they're tolerating uh, medical therapy, they're doing well, you know, things are going okay, then, you know, I think you can get them started on some medical therapy, have very close follow-up. But if if there is concern, if there's clinical concern my mom and she's not doing well or not tolerating medical therapy, I think absolutely reaching out um, for transfer to higher levels of care is absolutely appropriate.
0: Well, we've got about a minute left here, Katie. And I uh, just want to ask you then, uh, what proportion of these patients ultimately uh, have a full recovery? Personally, I'm gonna follow it up with another one
1: here. Many women do recover. So many women diagnosed with periprim cardiomyopathy do recover. One of the studies we referenced for that, the IPAC study, they had about 70% of their women recovered by six months to one year. So many women diagnosed do recover. However, there still will there are some that smaller percentage which do have a more severe presentation. But we are hopeful. By again six months to one year, many do can show recovery.
0: So now that woman, your mother now, who um, has a, a, a newborn and hopefully healthy, in the mother who has had either full recovery or you know most maybe maybe not quite normal recovery. I mean, this group of yeah. patients. Yep. What advice are you going to give them about future pregnancies?
1: Yes, yeah, so this is really important. And any woman diagnosed with peripartum cardiomyopathy should receive counseling about future pregnancies, and it should be you have know, kind of discussed almost. And I try and discuss with them every time I see them in follow up. You know, what are your plans? Where we, you know, just because it keeping an open dialogue with that. We define recovery in the is defined as a left ventricular ejection fraction is fifty percent. So if a mom recovers and their LVEF is above 50%, you know, we consider that kind of recovered. And in that situation, they may consider pregnancies in the future, but they need to be counseled that they're at increased risk of relapse, about 20% risk of relapse. Um, And they will need to be monitored very closely through pregnancy with serial clinical visits, echocardiography. It's possible that they, you know, can have another successful pregnancy women that do not fully recover so their ef does not come above 50% we advise against future pregnancies and that's because of such a high morbidity and mortality for for moms with other additional pregnancies
0: does genetic testing help you in, in making this determination and giving advice
1: well genetic testing so i i personally offer genetic testing to moms that i you know we diagnose with peripartum cardiomyopathy um, there hasn't been a gene or and you know identified, um, but you know sometimes you you may identify actually an underlying genetic cardiomyopathy. I don't know that that per se influences oftentimes yes or no on future pregnancies. I think we more so look at their heart function and their recovery and kind of their overall functional status. Is kind of what we look at.
0: Well, Katie, I'm sorry we we have to sort of wrap it up here, but uh, it's really been a fascinating discussion. It seems that we've covered so many things about a very important and life-threatening disease, and and would love to get you back uh, another time to discuss cardiovascular or other cardiovascular diseases uh, that may contribute to uh, the uh, health or uh, uh, mortality uh, of women uh, during pregnancy. So, thank you so much uh, for uh, taking the time to to be with us today. We really enjoyed it.
1: Happy to be here and happy to come back. Yes, thank you.
0: Thank you for joining us today. Feel free to share your thoughts and suggestions about the podcast by emailing cvselfstudy at mayo.edu. Be sure to subscribe to the Mayo Clinic Cardiovascular CME Podcast on your favorite platform and tune in each week to explore today's most pressing cardiology topics with your colleagues at Mayo Clinic.